Hello, you're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've joined us. Welcome to the program. When Christianity was birthed, the traditional values of marriage and family were not what we take now as being the traditional values that Christianity has introduced to the world. When couples choose to become parents, they are taking a big risk. There are no guarantees when raising children they will turn out okay. And even the Bible has some pretty clear examples of parenting gone wrong, producing some unsavoury offspring. Most people just hope for the best, but it's a risky business. Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues his five-part series titled The Risk Series. Let's join him now for the fourth episode with The Risk of Parenting. So we are going to continue to look at risk series, the risk series, and looking at, hopefully, as I've, I've tried to make clear to you, I've got some pastoral aims here. I, I hope that we, we come to church both to receive, but also to give, and hopefully to give of our lives, and, and that should translate into us wanting to grow. We want to change. We want to become more like Christ. God took a risk. We're created in the image of a God who took a huge risk and we can only grow both in character, in strength as we've heard Stephen eloquently say this morning when you take a risk and go for that walk in the rain or whenever it is. We can only become the person that God has designed and created for us to be if we take some risks. So in looking at this today I, I want to remind you of some of the things that we've seen that life is actually full of risks I don't know that it's possible to live without taking any risks and I guess the people who try end up becoming perhaps fearful of things that God hasn't designed us to be fearful of fearful in a way that it cripples us it's it it stagnates us it it stops us from becoming who God wants us to be. I'm defining a risk as doing something, something attempted with the hope of success, but with the possibility of failure. I've said a few times, and I, I hope it's not misunderstood, that I hope that we have in our church people who know how to fail well. It might sound odd, and I guess I need to say this, it might sound odd if I say, if you fail, it doesn't mean you're a failure. In the same way, if you succeed at something, it doesn't mean you're a success at everything. It doesn't mean you're necessarily a success. There's a, a phenomena that sociologists describe happening right now. It's called identity politics. And what that means is you pick something, maybe an aspect of your life, and you identify that as being the sum total of your life. Particularly at the moment, people identify sexual behaviour as their identity. This, this is invented like about five minutes ago. No one had ever heard of identify. I've never gone up to anyone. I've said to, you know, if you've never been here and you've never heard me say this, this might come as a bit of a shock to you, but I've never done this. I've never gone up to someone and said, hello, my name's Andrew, I'm a heterosexual. I mean, that would get you wondering. It's like, now, why did you tell me that? And I don't, because that's, I'm, this is my identity is I'm a human being and I trust that's obvious. And so is yours. 
Your identity is that you're created by God. You're created in the image of God. You're created in the image of a God who takes risks. And so in thinking that through, there's two ways to take risks, and I'm not particularly an expert in both, but I'm experienced in both. And the first way, it says here in the book of Proverbs, it says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And so there's the two approaches of how to take a risk, to be diligent, do your homework, planning, learn from previous mistakes, implement the wisdom that comes from making those mistakes. That's diligence. The other one is to be hasty, without thought, reckless, to do things without much consideration, without trying at least to minimise the risks. They're the two approaches. I'm experienced in both and I... I try now to gravitate toward the diligent, the first part of this proverb. In life, it carries a lot of risks. This is what I want to deal with now because this is dealing with the risk of parenting. Parenting carries all kinds of risks. In fact, I think it carries so many risks that people are reluctant to enter into parenting now. In fact, I, I see couples, unfortunately, and I've, I've, I think I've got three or four marriages on the, like weddings on the go at the moment, and, and the, the present company of those excluded, but so far this year, I've, I've married couples when we get to the, now let's talk about children bit, and they said, no need, we're not going to have any. And I thought, well, why is that? And if I could sum up for them, because our experience in growing up and having parents was so negative, we don't want to inflict that on anyone else. I wonder if that's not an uncommon response that people are having now. So, so there's an intuitive thing that parenting carries with it certain risks. And I want, to, I want to talk about what those risks are. I want to acknowledge that. And I want to hopefully this morning give you some biblical principles that I think God's word gives us on how we can at least minimise those risks. So I hope you don't hear today. If you do this, you'll end up with wonderful behaved children who always tidy their bedrooms before they leave for school. They do the dishes without even being asked. They, they'll say, is there anything I can do for you, Mum, in about you know, every 15 minutes? Um, if you hear that I'm saying this is what you can do if you apply this, um, you, if you're wearing those little hearing aids, get them checked. So, because that's not what I'm going to say at all. So but I do, want, I do want us to appreciate this. And I got in trouble, sort of in trouble, on social media once when I said Christianity is not based on traditional values. And here's what I mean by that. When Christianity was birthed, the traditional values of marriage and family were not what we take now as being the traditional values that Christianity has introduced to the world. You see, you read the, the Greek thinkers of the day, they, they told men, don't treat your wife like a harlot that's that's good advice comma therefore 
frequent harlots so that you don't treat your wife like that. Now, we hear that, we go, that's, dis- that's terrible. I hope we do. But that was, that was the tradition of the day in which Christianity was birthed. If you had the means and you lived in a household, you had children, but you certainly didn't raise them. You got a slave or a servant to do that. But when Christianity came along, it revolutionised that idea. So I hope you can hear what I'm saying. Christianity is not grounded in traditional values. It absolutely revolutionised the way we saw family. And here's how it started. It started, and you'll hear this come through, I hope, as a bit of a thread through what we're going to deal with. To revolutionise the concept of family, Christianity revolutionised the concept of marriage. We today are swimming in water that is built, or this water is the Christian worldview. It's a worldview that sees that God has created men and women equal, that God has created marriage, that God has designed this for the flourishing of human beings, both men and women. And he's also designed marriage as the basis upon which a family begins and it's designed for the flourishing of children. Nothing controversial there, but it was when it was introduced. It was absolutely radical. I'm going to say something else that you will almost certainly misunderstand. So let me say it very clearly and explain why I'm saying it. The Bible does not promote parenting. Let me say it again. The Bible does not promote parenting. The Bible promotes fathering and mothering. Do you hear what I'm saying? The Bible promotes fathering and mothering. I've said this many times, if you're a single mother, you have twice the job and half the resources to do it. And it is a tough ask. That's why I hope we as a church, part of my pastoral motive here, is that we recognise that. And we see the single mothers in our church now who are sitting in this auditorium right now And that the men of this church realise there's a role here for us to play. So the concept of marriage, the revolutionising of the concept of fathering and mothering, we might see this grounded in what Paul wrote to the Ephesians when he said this, Husbands, love your wives. Can I tell you right there, that's the beginning of the revolution. Because that was not why people married back in the Greco-Roman era. Here Paul is saying, husbands, love your wives. Now notice what he does. He grounds all Christian teaching in who God is. This is what we call the theology of marriage. Theology, how God sees it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with 
the word. So this is how a husband is to treat his wife. Christ treats his church with incredible tenderness, incredible respect. It's, it's amazing that the God of the universe, the God who made everything, would treat a creature that he has made, the church, us, his redeemed people, with such responsibility. I mean, if you left planet Earth with the mission of now spread my message to the whole world and show them what it's like to live in harmony together, because this is, give, them, give the world a foretaste of heaven, would you choose us to do that? But he has. It's incredible respect. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. You see the implication? I hope you see the implication. Trevor, in his prayer, prayed for the Upstream uh, initiative. And the Upstream initiative I, I launched last week in Hobart at the Grand Chancellor after the parliamentary prayer breakfast where a part of, a part of what I want to do is, is within the church to help, to help it, to make it possible, to help and to make it possible that every vulnerable person, particularly women, particularly women and children, are safe in the church. Not just safe, not just not going to be harmed, but actually will flourish as a human being because they are a part of the church. This means we have to have what we are doing right now translate into what happens when you leave this place and you go into your lounge rooms, your kitchens, your bedrooms, that husbands treat their wives with respect. And a part of what, what I'm doing with Upstream, and this is, I'm going to just put this out there now. If you are the parent of an 11 or 12-year-old son, when your son turns 13, I want us as a church to do something very special for your son. So if I'm not aware of any son in this church that is about to turn 13 soon, come and see me, please, because we want to establish a pathway for a young boy to become a young man and know how to treat women. Now, so that it says here, he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Do you hear the word beauty in this, that he might present her beautiful, that he sees? And this is the thing, I, I've heard preachers say, oh, well, Christ is never going to come back for his church until the church is without spot, wrinkle or blemish. Then he'll come back. That's like a husband saying, Honey, I'm going to take you out on the date of your life, the moment you are perfection of beauty. Can I tell you, if you're a wise husband, you take her out. If you say that, you take her out that night. Because in your eyes, she already is the perfection of beauty. And every man, every husband here said, Amen. Absolutely. And I'm hearing that amen as a code for, I know what's good for me. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Because Christ is not waiting for the church to be without spot, wrinkle or blemish. He sees the church as without spot, wrinkle or blemish. This, this is bewildering to me that, 
that Paul the Apostle could write to the Corinthian church that had, let's count the, let's count the sins, shall we? We run out of fingers very quickly. And then he says this, is it um, 2 Corinthians chapter 7? I, the last verse I think it is, I have full confidence in you. This Corinthian church that had incest, sexual immorality, they were practicing idolatry, they were doing all kinds of weird things. And Paul says, but I know you love the Lord and I have full confidence in you that you'll do the right thing. That's amazing. And I think if that's how the Apostle Paul could see the church, Christ already sees the churches without spot, wrinkle or blemish. Why? Because we belong to him. We're in him. This is a clue for how every husband should see his wife as beautiful. A few weeks ago in the pastor's desk, I wrote an article, my weekly article, saying why God has made men strong and women beautiful. You might recall that there was uh, an ultramarathon runner uh, running through the outback of Australia and there was this phenomenal fire that came through. And I think she and others faced a, a choice. Do we run into the fire front? Who would do that? Do we run away from the fire front, which was going more than 100 kilometres an hour? Or do we go up the hill and hope it just passes us by? I think she made the choice to go up the hill and it went up the hill anyway. And you might recall how it, her, you know, the, the horrible victim, uh, the horrible uh, damage that, that fire did. The really thrilling thing for me was she was in, um, my understanding, a, a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship with a fella who stuck with her all through that and eventually married her. And I think they have at least two children now. It's a beautiful story. And it's a, it's a statement that he saw something in her that was truly beautiful, that was not dependent upon her outward appearance. And that's how I read this verse, that Christ sees us, the church. He sees something in us. And this is Paul saying, husbands, this is how Christ treats the church. This is how you treat your wife. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, where has he pulled that verse out from? Where, where does he get that from? He gets that from Genesis chapter 2. And this is where we ground what it means to be a man. We ground what it means to be a woman. We ground what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a wife, what marriage means, what human sexuality means in what we call creation theology. The very moment of creation, this time of creation, tells us something about those things. And Paul says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Now, my count is what, three? Is it the fourth time, third or fourth time Paul has said that in these few verses? As himself, let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here we have the grounding 
for what it means to be parents. And I'm using the word fathering and mothering. Now I'm going to say parents to catch those words. But it's God's intention for the basis of parenting to be marriage. We parent, us, those of us who are parents, out of the strength of our marriage. We father out of the strength of our marriage. Mothers, mother out of the strength of their marriage. Now at this point I need to take a slight, just a slight excursus just over here and point out I know this is not everyone's experience. I know that right now I'm talking to people both, both in this room and online and your marriage has not reflected this. I know that. So I'm saying this not with naivety, not, with, not by saying that if you are a Christian and you married a Christian spouse, husband or wife, that everything's fine. I'm not naive like that. I'm naive in other ways, but I'm not naive like that. And this is the hope that I have for every marriage, that it can be what God has intended, but it won't happen by wishful thinking or just hoping it'll happen all by itself. And that's the message I hope you hear about parenting as well. I grew up watching the Brady Bunch on TV. I knew two things were a reality for me. I never wanted to get married, probably for some of the things I've already alluded to, but I wanted to have six kids. Yeah, I know, you're looking at me like, yeah, but that doesn't work. I know, I didn't think that one through particularly clearly. And so for some reason, as a young man, I, was, I, kind of, I watched families. I watched how they interacted. I, I, took, I took note of what I thought worked and what didn't work. And for me, it was never going to happen, but I just wanted to just note, this is, this is what a good marriage and a good family looks like, those sorts of things. When God changed my life significantly, when uh, I now look back and go, man, oh man, God moved on me incredibly. I went through a period of, of uh, I was living on my own at the time, I was living in Melbourne, and I went through a period of intense loneliness, and I actually thought it was demonic. And so I went on a, on, on a three-day fast to see if I could break off this evil oppression that I had of the loneliness that I was feeling. And nothing particularly happened except that I had a repeating dream over several nights. So vivid. Now for those that have been around for a while, you've heard me tell this story. And that dream was of a young lady sitting on a park bench telling me her story about how she'd just been kicked out of home and how her whole life wasn't what she thought it was and how she, those people she thought were friends were not really her friends and, and I was just on the bench listening to her and I heard her tell me her name, which I thought in my dream, and I told people this, I thought I heard her name was Ken. And I saw, I saw her face. I saw she had 
four earrings or so and four earrings or so and his like bleached blonde hair and it was very clear. And then one night I was part of uh, Overseas Christian Fellowship at Deakin University and, and I was packing up my guitar from playing that night and, and at that point nearly all of my friends were Malaysian and they were about five foot jet black hair. I was six foot three at the time and, and uh, the leader came over and said, did you realise there's another Australian here? It would be polite of you. This tells you something about my social cues, right? It would be polite of you to say hello before you left. And I was like, and I like, oh, okay. So I packed my guitar up. I mean, I... And then as I was about to go out the door, this person came in front of me and I didn't have a choice. In fact, not only did she come out in front of me, she came up to me and said, and I thought, is she expecting me to kiss her hand? (laughs) Yes, she was. (laughs) So I did. And I said, hello, my name's Andrew. And then I looked at her and I thought, oh, four earrings, four earrings, bleach blonde hair. And she said, my name's Kim. <laughs> oh, thank God, it's not Ken. <laughs> but, it, but that was the moment when my world got turned upside down or inside out or out the right way or up the right way. Ah, oh, that, that's... That was the moment. And Kim and I have had four children and actually had the six, and, but four surviving. And, and this has been, it's been a wonderful journey. Yes. And I'm, I'm saying that, I, I guess, so that if you're a, a, someone here, and, and please don't think this is how God does it. I've never heard any, anyone else have anything similar to that. But I do want to, I want you to hear that I, I took into my marriage, into our, the starting of our family, which it looked like at the time it wasn't ever going to happen. And that, that's another story, but God graced us. That I thought, okay, this is what I think you need to do to be a good father and a good mother. Kim, when, when we had our first child, Tyrone, Kim had never held a baby. Is that right? You never, you'd, Kim had never physically held a baby in her life before she gave birth to our first child. So we were starting from a very sort of behind-the-scenes thing. The basis for a strong family is the strong marriage. It's the, it's the marriage between the father and the mother. And again, I'm, I'm just wanting to... For you to hear that I'm saying, I know that that's not the way it always pans out for people. But God is the God who redeems. This week we heard the story of Patrick Parkinson, Professor Patrick Parkinson, who has chosen to live just over there, just on the other side of the river. And he's the Dean of Law at the University of Queensland. He said how he was a part of the process for instigating the Royal Commission into the Institutional sexual abuse of children. He said that uh, as a lawyer he was interviewing victims, survivors we might say, of sexual, child sexual abuse by 
Christian leaders, by clergy, by churches. And then he was interviewing perpetrators, the ones who'd actually carried it out. And then he said his world spiralled because what he hadn't told anyone was that he himself had been the victim of child sexual abuse at the hands of clergy. And it brought up all kinds of trauma in his life. It ended up in his own marriage failing. He's trying to be a Christian. It ended up him having to become a single father because his wife left him. It ended up later on, as he's trying to process all this hurt and trauma in his own life, that he met a lady who had gone through a divorce herself and she had brought her children into this new relationship. So he went from being married, parent, divorced, single parent, blended family, now with four children who didn't get on particularly well living in their home and having to figure it all out and then eventually That's all we when have time things calm down a bit. If you'd like to obtain a CD copy or premium download of, of tonight's church. discussion, then please go the to our Patrick website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select the risk of parenting from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, becoming a parent and raising children successfully is indeed a a risky business, as those who've gone before us can testify. But there are some things that we can do to reduce the risk, and those strategies bring their own rewards. More from Dr Corbett next week with the final in the risk series, The Risk of Eternity. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week week for another Finding Truth of Matters. The Royal Commission to keep children safe and free from harm. Church is now the safest place in Australia for a child to be. I'm thrilled to hear that. So the basis for a strong family is a strong marriage between a father and a mother and I hope that we as a church help to have couples that can develop their marriage with each other to make that really strong. But there is something the Bible also says to children. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for that is right. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This is taken out of Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. So Christianity revolutionised the basis for raising children. You notice that command there taken out of the Ten Commandments? It talks about the role of a father and the role of a mother, which is one of the reasons why I say the Bible doesn't encourage parenting. It involves and promotes mothering and fathering, or should I say more correctly, fathering and mothering. And it always puts the word father first. The father is meant to carry a greater responsibility in the raising of his children. This is why, I'll just tell you now, when I see couples and I see the husband taking the back seat while the kids are running amok and the wife is trying to sort it all out, my heart grieves. That's just a little insight into how I see things. Because I think men are supposed to be fathers if they are. So Christianity revolutionised the concept of and the basis for raising children. 
It wasn't something that servants were supposed to do, slaves were supposed to do, teachers were supposed to do. It was something that fathers and mothers were supposed to do. Fathers and mothers were supposed to care for their children. And here's the word, disciple them. Disciple their children in Christ. Notice that reference that Paul has, obey your parents in the Lord. And so there's, there's this concept that fathers and mothers are meant to not just provide a meal for their children, but they are supposed to care for and disciple their children. Now this proverb is often cited by people. It says this, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's cited by some as if it was a promise that would just happen all by itself. Notice the first few words, train up. I find training probably one of the most difficult aspects of my life. Teaching, easy. Training, not so easy. Why? Because training takes time. Training takes effort. Training is, is this emotional problem you have in letting someone fail so they can learn for themselves. This is a difficult call. Training. So this is partly why I'm going to say parenting, mothering, fathering involves taking a risk. Think about this. The very first parents in the Bible were Adam and Eve. And, and their second child was Cain. Cain and Abel, you, you know, Cain killed Abel. Cain and Abel, the, the, they, their son, who may have been their first son, but he became a murderer. Man, man. Um, this is the picture the Bible gives us of parenting or mothering and fathering and mothering in a world where children are born with sin. The next one's, I'll just do a bit of a survey here. We go into uh, Genesis chapter 11, and we ha- uh, 9, I think, 9, and we have uh, Ham, the son of Noah. Um, he humiliated his father, and Ham ended up becoming the, the patriarch of the Canaanites. And if you know anything about Israel coming into the promised land, that was, that was a difficult thing. Then you had Abraham... And he thought it would be a good idea if he sired a child with a woman that wasn't his wife and the child's name was Ishmael and he became the father of the Arabs. And the Arabs and Hebrews, the Israelites, they don't get on very well even to this day. And and this, this became a problem and eventually he sent Ishmael away. And then Isaac and Rebekah had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and they couldn't stand each other. And one day Jacob tricked Esau into relinquishing his birthright. Even though they were twins, Esau was fully birthed before uh, Jacob, even though Jacob had put his um, hand out or foot out or whatever and first, which apparently when it comes to birthright doesn't count. You have to be fully out. And so Esau became a huge problem for his parents. Then we have Jacob and Rachel. They had 10 naughty sons. You might have one. They had 10. You know what these 10 naughty sons did to their then youngest brother, Joseph? 
Here comes Joseph, the dreamer. I've got an idea. Let's sell him into slavery. That's pretty naughty. Then we have King David. He had a son. He had a lot of sons, actually. Well, he used to until this guy came along who killed them all. Absalom. Killed. We didn't kill them all. He nearly killed them all. I'm only pointing this out to say that we get a picture that families in the Bible aren't always this pretty perfect picture of what it's like. But here's what the Bible does say about being a father and a mother. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Or other translations have a blessing from the Lord. Children are a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, it says. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate, which is the place of respect when the men of the city would go to the gate. So let me bring this to a bit of a close. Becoming a father or a mother is a vocation. It's a vocation. And please, by now, I hope you, you, you haven't heard that you do this and you're guaranteed that everything will be fine because that's not what we've said, but, but it is a risk. And we'll talk about how to minimise that risk. But here's, here's where it starts. It starts in the strength of your marriage and it starts with a commitment to be a father or the commitment to be a mother. It's, it's not the main, sorry, it's the main thing. Being a father or a mother is the main thing if you are. It's not a side thing. It's not a thing, oh yeah, if you get any time, I'll do that. It, no, it's the main thing. Secondly, it's what you give your life to, which is what a vocation means, despite the cost. It costs to be a father. It costs to be a mother. By the time we had our second child, after being worn out from having our first child, Kim and I used to play a game in the middle of the night called Let's Who... Let's see who can pretend to sleep the best while the baby is crying in the middle of the night. I lost every time. It requires years and years of training and study in order to become a father or a mother. And I hope we are starting with our... Seriously, that they begin to see what I was noticing when I was growing up. That's a good marriage. That's good fathering. That's good mothering. So here's how we can reduce the risk of fathering and mothering and raising your child. You may not like these, but you have to love me, just pointing that out. Number one, do not make your child the centre of your life. Make your marriage a higher priority than your child. Do not make your child the centre of your life. Secondly, shepherd your child's heart toward Christ. Shepherd your child's heart toward Christ. That means even if you have a bunch of kids, which I hope many of you young people do, like you, Josiah, have a tribe. No pressure, but it does, you got, there's a couple of, things, couple of little details you've got to take care of before that. <laughs> Shepherding a child's heart means listening to them. It means exploring what's in their heart, seeing what fears they have, what aspirations they have, those kinds of things. Thirdly, be united in your discipline of, of your child. 
you're more likely to have some wins when you are united in disciplining your child instead of disagreeing about what you should do with your child in front of your child. That's like a recipe for disaster. And fourthly, build memories together. You know, the things that your child will remember in years to come are not the things that you think they would remember. They will be the laughter at the dinner table. They will be the family walks. They'll be the family picnics. They'll be those sorts of things. Build memories together. There's four things that will help minimise the risk of parenting. And there's one really, really big thing that I want to talk about when we come back after this. As we've heard tonight, becoming a parent and raising children successfully is indeed a risky business, as those who've gone before us can testify. But there are some things that we can do to reduce the risk and those strategies bring their own rewards. More from Dr Corbett next week with the final in the risk series, The Risk of Eternity. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.